I was talking with somebody yesterday and they were saying that uh, today is the worst day of the year because it's uh, when we move the clock forward. So you get an hour less sleep. Did that affect you? Didn't affect me. Not really, but I think uh, it affects people more when it's a weekday more than anything because they panic because their alarms aren't set right or, you know, historically speaking anyways, I think everybody's phone is their alarm and makes it a little easier nowadays, but you still have one hour less sleep and it's jarring to say the least. So tomorrow we're likely to have a few uh, people show up to work a little bit late probably, huh? Probably. Could be a fact also it's chilly. You know, it's only like 66 degrees right now. It's a little cool for March in Florida usually. You know, it's, it got down to like 39 today. Do you know that? No wonder I was chilly last night. <laughs> it's going to get warmer the rest of the week anyways. Okay, we well, say so we get started. Before we get started, um, I'm going to have to um, make sure I do our disclaimer and get all that squared around. So here we go. It is Sunday, March the 8th, 2020. And in this edition of 3M Connecting Dots, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things today. But before we get started, we have a little disclaimer we always throw in because if we talk about a company, you can bet your sweet bippy we probably own it. Welcome to Connecting Dots the weekend edition of Minting Millionaire Mindsets. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, a true fiduciary-based registered investment advisor. Due to the extent of our personal, corporate, and client holdings, always assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest exists. Well, let's talk uh, for a moment. Let's kick off about lazy readers and journalists. And uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. One of the things I think we always, I like talking about is the fact that uh, nobody reads anymore. True. They, they read headlines, they read tweets, they read short little clips from social media and stuff like that. But everybody's attention span is so short, they can't sit down and read a couple paragraphs, let alone a couple chapters in a book. And one of the things that we've been talking about a lot here at Fixed Cost Financial is the fact that, you know, 60% of what people read is the headline only. And headlines are really influential as to how things are performing. And this so, this media, this social media, this whole Twitter thing is now seeping into the financial services industry. And it's it's really ugly. Um, the, the quality of writing, even in the academic world, I have found has just been atrocious. I was reading something from Jeremy Siegel, written back in, I think, uh, 2001 or two, something like that. And um, it's, a, it's a really solid economic, economic paper. And that compared to some of the things that are out there today, just it just isn't cutting it. Well, and it gets especially worse when you look at like business news journals or papers or and now they're mostly all online, but, um, you know, like the, the one I've, I've, you and I, you know, that I uh, have a little bit of heartburn with is this, um, kind of manufactured. It seems like it's written by either, it says it's written by a person, but there's no possible way. Cause they're literally all the same. It's like a, uh, AI written articles about, you know, market up or down, you know, binary up or down insert number of points because, insert three headlines that are driving their news site for the day. And it's, it, it literally is just robo written and they do these things multiple times per day. And it's just totally nonsensical. Usually it's totally wrong. It's whatever their editorial bias for the day is. It's very silly. Yeah. I've noticed that very same thing. It's almost as if you've got people who are in the world of journalism and they've got themselves maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 different articles. They just have, again, insert here and it's like a drop down menu of a couple of different 
items of the day and they just regurgitate it out. It's, I, I really do think that's happening. It's like the, um, you know, in business, you write your standard stock form letters and then you just drop in Bob, Sue, Mary, Jane, and then it just, you, you, they're so obvious when you get it. And I'm beginning to think that's really going on in journalism. It definitely is because a lot of, uh, because of the optimization and efficiency measures that have had to take place at, at, at um, papers and news sites and things, um, people are expected to write a certain number of articles per day usually. That's why if you look at any of these sites, uh, probably the exception being, you know, Wall Street Journal or New York Times, um, you'll look, you look at like, uh, I don't know, Market Watch or Barron's or something like that. And you'll, uh, for business news anyways, uh, these other sites are worse, like, you know, um, I guess Vice or any of these other kind of left-leaning kind of just, you know, garbage sites really is the way you do. And, and I guess you, you, I don't really know of any right-wing sites. I don't really look at anything, but I guess like Breitbart maybe is the only thing I can think of would be the same. Um, you look at the art, who's writing the articles and it's, it's, you'll see the same person over and over and over. And with the, the business news sites, because things are very structured, um, that's definitely happening. People definitely have form basically templates that they rip out and kind of slightly modify on a day-to-day basis based on things. There's no question about it because you see the same articles across every news site consistently. Oh, that's one of the favorite things I like to do, especially with these investment advisors and brokers and insurance agents. They have their newsletters. We've done this a few times. It happens a lot with people down in the villages and Sun City Center, all these retirement communities. And you you highlight the first one or two sentences of whatever it is they're doing. And you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people who have subscribed to the same service that they have. But it's like, uh, oh, look at this book I wrote. You didn't write a book. You just put your name on it and somebody else ghost wrote, wrote it and everybody else is doing the same thing. Yeah, those are pretty bad because they're they're literally word for word the same article. Um, at, at most, you can search like the first or second, uh, the first sentence in the first or second paragraph. At most, they, they will slightly tweak the first paragraph or uh, or the headline, but usually it's a word for word regardless of, of what's going on. It's kind of pathetic. And, and, you know, you can do that with, with a lot of these sites and you'll literally find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles from other investment advisors, insurance agents, things like that all across the place. And I assume it's probably the same thing for attorneys and all kinds of other things. It's just people have really gotten lazy and um, it's interesting. I had a friend uh, in the business sent me an article. You remember that? And uh, I uh, said he wrote it and I used it and I got a a phone call from a guy who runs a site called By the Numbers and said, "Uh, dude, that was word for word. And so from now on, whenever I get anything from anybody, I always do the check on it. I just, you know, you assume as somebody says, I wrote it, I wrote it. But one of the things I also find, and I think I'm going to cover this. I'm sure I'm going to get some people that listen to our, our podcast and be upset about it. And I really don't care. What I've found, especially with people in law enforcement that I knew 40 plus years ago, um, so many of these people, they see a headline and they just throw it out there. I remember, do you remember that video of Obama kicking the door after leaving the press conference as if he was mad as all Billy hell. And it was all, it was fake. Remember that at all? Yeah, I, re- I definitely remember that. 
it, it was fake, right? I mean, you know, it, whoever did it did a pretty damn good job. But I remember so many people using that just as one of about 10,000 examples. People saying, ah, can you believe how that SOB would treat the White House and blah, blah, blah. There's so much of that. And I think what the problem is, I really do believe this. I think a lot of these journalists and especially these newspapers, uh, well, there's not even newspapers anymore. What do you want to call them? Media outlets? Um, whatever you want. There's news sites, really. Okay. News sites. That's a good one. These news sites, they know their audience. Uh, they know who their subscribers are. They profile their, their subscribers just like anybody else. And so they're writing to their base. And it's just like an echo chamber that people complain about on, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And they, they don't care anymore. They just, okay, they're, they're narrowing it and narrowing it down. And again, they don't do the research because they don't need to. Their people love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the main thing that a lot of these people do is they, they calibrate what they write and what they focus on based on their website analytics. So, and, and the reason for that is that a lot of writers are, um, their pay is based on scale for what their, their hits are to their articles. Oh yeah, I read a really in, I, I read a really interesting thing and, and uh, heard a really interesting podcast about a guy uh, uh, not too long ago how he literally left the industry and then learned how to get uh, his his hits. Yeah, so they they uh, have like you know quotas for how many articles they need to write per day if if, if it's a fast moving site and then you get paid based on what kind of hits your articles get and there's you know some it's it's not like a per hit basis it's a scale so you know if you if if the, if the site has you know like let's say a million hits a day and you your article reaches you know. 50% of that, you know, you get paid X number of dollars and then, you know, 75%, 100% and over 100%, you, you know, you're driving new traffic from other places and they pay you, you know, maybe a, a premium above that. Um, it's interesting uh, how all that works. It, it's, but that in and of itself is is very similar to the thing that we have talked about a lot over the years about um, uh, executive compensation and that type of thing driving you know, basically short-term thinking at, um, at publicly traded companies and focusing on stock price and stuff like that, um, overemphasis on stock buybacks and things like that. And, and that's the same type of effect being, being at play with these news organizations. They're, they're calibrating for whatever the thing of the moment is, you know, the attitude or, or whatever's getting clicks. So, you know, if for some reason, you know, it becomes super popular and everybody goes out and rags on Joe Biden is as, as, as ridiculous as that would seem because he's he's insulated by by them currently, it seems um, if, if that becomes a popular thing for clicks and that's what people are going to look at, then they'll go do that. And it, it, it totally violates any level of journalistic integrity, just like at publicly traded companies, it violates, you know, any fiduciary responsibility that, ex that should exist. So it's, it's the same type of, of short-term calibration for monetary purposes that is, it's extremely destructive. I've told this a few times in the past, and somebody who is listening will remember this. My dad used the word, uh, this phrase to Rodney, and I've always called certain things a Rodney. And uh, we had this idiot in the neighborhood. My dad said, you know, Rodney, if you had half a brain, you'd be dangerous. And he said it in front of all of us kids, and everybody just fell over laughing. I was so proud of my dad because everybody thought he was so cool for saying that. And But it was true. Rodney is my phrase for, if you hear me say, oh, geez, what a Rodney. Or if I, I, I have a certain song that I oftentimes whistle that you know I'm not going to talk about it because I want to keep it somewhat confidential. And it's my, uh, it's my dog whistle that uh, 
we got a real problem here. But anyways, uh, the other one is, uh, you know, you, you see a, a Sam Hyde back in uh, 2015. Sam Hyde, uh, there's a picture of Sam. He's a comedian. He's a, a little bit on uh, edgy. He's got a uh, hair color, kind of like a hyena, a little bit uh, light and dark. And he's holding a uh, an assault rifle and he's got dark glasses and a stupid look on his face. And he looks like he would be a, uh, a serial killer. And I mean, how many times is Sam now because of that picture, the news organizations, you know, somebody decides to uh, fake the news and say, yes, yeah, shooter at uh, this, that, or we'll use Columbine. You know, this shooter's been identified as Sam Hyde and here's a picture of him. I mean, that's happened more than a few times, hasn't it? Even the New York Times did it one time. Yeah, it's, he had a TV show, which was kind of his rise to popularity. He had like an internet cult, I guess, for a while. And um, from there, he, he had a TV show on, I think it was Comedy Central or yeah. or uh, Adult Swim on um, Cartoon Network, I guess. And um, I think it was called M- Million Dollar Extreme or something like that. Anyways, he got it, it was canceled after one year and um, because of, you know, politics and stuff like that, I guess. But in any case, um, yeah, he's been basically his internet cult following likes to try and convince journalists. At least they did. I think it doesn't work anymore, but um, convince journalists that, hey, you know, this is this is the shooter in this mass casualty event or or this is the, you know, the bomber of this this, you know, funeral procession in Afghanistan or you know, <laughs> insert all kinds of weird, crazy, like headline grabbing events. And the funny thing is, is. You know, it, it typically doesn't work as far as, you know, like the, if you, you can go online, you can find some lists of, of where the hoaxes that have been successfully perpetrated on journalists. And it's kind of funny because you can see um, it's not usually the big well-known journalists or organizations that fall for it. Although they have, I think CNN ran with it a few times and stuff like that, which is funny, but it's usually these smaller news organizations that are, are really you know, to, to lead back to what we were saying a second ago, it, it le- they're trying to get, Oh, hot lead, you know, Oh, I I'll, I'll be the one that's interviewed because I found this, this, this important thing out about this horrible event. And they just trick people who are hungry for, you know, headlines. And, um, it's quite comical because they fall for just stuff that can easily be figured out with a Google search. Yeah. It reminds me of that, uh, girl that was in the uh, press conference, uh, with, uh, president Trump recently. And she was like, just, Oh, it was so irritating. She's just like asking questions, really hyper. And it was just, it was a, a stupid question. But again, I think all of this kind of comes back. I'll, I'll roll this back around to Twitter. Now, Jack Dorsey's going to get his butt handed to him. He's probably going to lose. Have you been following what's going on there with a singer and all that? I have. It's um funny. Yeah, I was listening to Adam Curry on, um, he's on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I was uh, just about listening to the whole thing. Very, very good podcast. I'll put it in our show notes. Uh, Adam Curry talks a, a little bit about uh, Twitter and, and Jack Dorsey and what's going on there. And they were kind of just, you know, again, how that thing has just evolved into an echo chamber and, you know, how advertisers and that whole uh, value-based uh, programming makes a lot of sense. But I think, and I really do believe this, I think that one of the problems is that Twitter started this, not didn't start it, it's been this way for a while, but this super short attention disorder saying, hey, we live busy lives, yada, yada, yada. Um, this has really facilitated the gotcha headlines and the whole idea of, you know, you got to get it to somebody in <laughs> basically 140 characters or they're going to move on. Well, 
I agree, but I but I I think it's deeper than that because one, you know, Twitter didn't have their character limit because it was their idea. They had their character limit because of text messaging. Because for 10 years prior to Twitter existing, you people were, especially young people, were primarily communicating via text, not by phone. And all they did was just create an internet outlet for that type of format. Um, you know, functionally, I guess you could probably do some stat, some, some uh, data analysis on Facebook and find that, you know, even before Twitter was popular, probably the average number of characters people were posting into Facebook was probably around the same number too. No, I'll um, listen. I'll agree. So with I you. think it's just kind of like a human nature thing. It's just short, you know, people don't want to read. They don't want to pay attention, you know, head, headline readers, for newspapers have always been a thing. I mean, how many people buy a newspaper and just walk by the newsstand and, you know, read the headlines and kept on moving? Right. I, I agree with you. I'll, I'll use the iPod as an example. Okay. So Steve Jobs and Apple did not invent small devices to play music and all that. They didn't, they, he did not do it, but he blew it up and the name now sticks. People call it podcasting and there isn't even an iPod out there anymore for all practical purposes. So, I just think that what Twitter did is it, it took what people are naturally gravitating towards, you know, give it to me easy, simple, and yada, yada, yada. Although I don't think Twitter is really uh, popular to speak of anymore, although Trump keeps it alive. Uh, but I think it just really, you know, it's the iPod of keep it short and, and simple. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the, the other thing with it is, is uh, you know, Twitter's popular among a certain group of people, they never really broke out into mainstream applicability because you have to understand how Twitter works. Most people can't wrap their head around, you know, how exactly it works because Twitter from day one never really collected a lot of data. There's no way, there's no easy way to go out and find like your friends or there's no way to build like friends lists or things like that. Like you can do on other social media platforms. It's truly like the, it's truly the, 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 the town square of the internet. And that's what made it popular. And the reason the site is really declining among kind of the uh, the population they originally cultivated is because of the echo chamber effect. And they've really, I guess, um, reduced the amount of interaction you have outside of your bubble. And a lot of people don't want to go outside of their bubble anymore because then um, you basically have people that are just, they, they I guess, uh, brigade around and report people if you say something that's slightly mean or violates some element of their terms of service, which are getting increasingly more complicated to understand exactly what you can and can't do. Um, you know, Twitter used to literally be the wild west where you could literally say anything and you would see anything and everything on there. And, um, you know, a lot of people tried to leverage it for business. And to be completely honest, if you're using it for anything other than like a, um, I guess, uh, you know, news to get news out about your company or whatever, it's just a waste of time. Um, you know, you, it drives very little traffic for business. It's mostly just a, you know, um, community building type tool for certain types of industries, mainly tech and uh, social causes and things like that. Those types of people are very active on there. And then the other main piece of Twitter is really just politics and, and news. And those things, of course, naturally intertwine. Um, there's more underground places to get news and, you know, paid and unpaid and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, the easiest way somebody can kind of curate their own news feed as to what's going on, whether it's, uh, you know, local or, 
you know, national or whether it's like industry specific news or, um, or even if you're looking for, you know, jihadists posting, you know, their, you know, great achievements of the day and whatever war zone is going on in the Middle East or Asia or something or Africa. Um, there's really no other place you can get that type of information. And of course, the more and more you shut down the ability to see these things or be able to bump out of your bubble to, to see, to get information, or even just these people can post things, you know, whether you think it's a good idea to have the publicity or not, if it wasn't for Twitter, I mean, I think a lot of people would not really understand um, what is going on in places of the world where you don't speak the language. Um, where you literally have maybe one, two, or half a dozen people who in the entire world who speak the language and are willing to translate and explain it to people. And without that type of public outlet, I, you know, the world literally goes back to the 1960s where you're relying on, you know, instead of ABC, NBC, CBS, and like the New York Times, you're relying on Facebook, Twitter, Google, Microsoft, and Apple to provide you like news. It's just, it's a joke. Um, you know, everybody told us that technology would, would create this fundamental freedom for people to be able to ex- this this free exchange of ideas, regardless of of uh, of your of your uh, you know your personal issues or prejudices. And obviously, that's just false. Um, you know, they're cutting, they're culling the herd, regardless of your political opinion, whether you're a radical you know, socialist or some type of radical fascist or some type of radical greenie or, you know, they're, they're, they don't want you anywhere near the general discussion or to influence public opinion at all. Because I think fundamentally people have realized that the radicals influence public opinion and they always have and they always will. And if they can't keep those people out of the arena, um, they're going to convince people of ideas that are dangerous to the system and the status quo. And, um, so, you know, as far as the Twitter effect goes, feeding people just these constant feeds of nonsensical, stupid headlines that don't really mean much, but keep everybody feeling like they really are invested and interested. And they, they have lots of very, very interesting information that we can look at each other and go, okay, so what? That means nothing. Um, or we can look at it and say they're, they're lying. That's totally fake. Like your, your picture, your, uh, your little video of Obama getting really angry at the press conference. Um, you know, as long as they can feed people that type of information, enough people stay engaged and think that there's nothing wrong with it. There's, there's a lot of very clever psychological manipulation on people going on to feed them things that are seemingly on the edge or very, um, radical, but are simply just keeping them, you know, within the, the cattle pen for all practical purposes. Yeah. And, and the problem is that headlines definitely, uh, influence. There's a lot of studies out there the way people think. Psychologists have long known that first impressions really do matter. And what we see, hear, feel, or even experience, um, that first encounter, you know, the color, the, the cologne, what, you know, the smile somebody has affects everything. And, and it goes to articles, it goes to book, well, how much how much money people spend on uh, on a book sleeve. You know, there's, we still have Barnes and Noble, um, or, is it, or is it Books a Million, whatever. whatever. Books a Million's gone, Barnes and Noble's are Around, but they got bought by private equity recently and they're trying to turn them around. So it's, they're a failing business fundamentally. It's kind of sad. But there's still bookstores and there's still going to be books that people are going to buy. It's, it's going to be around for at least a few more years, and, but they spend a lot of time on the cover. Even on a digital cover, I mean, uh, we've done the same thing when we, we put things up online. I, I take a little bit of time to make sure that the picture I select is, is, a, is applicable because, you know, it's, 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 it's exactly like... Um, 
LinkedIn. I'll give you a good example. Yesterday, I put up two videos and I was explaining how I use uh, efficiently and effectively. And I'm really proud of what I, I know in the area of how to use notability for business and integrating that with uh, uh, Instapaper and finding articles and doing clipping and, and highlighting and, and that whole process of how important it is to read. Okay, so. Well, and leveraging technology to, uh, to do things that people used to do with highlighters and notebooks. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, it's like, so for those of you who haven't seen it, go to uh, uh, my LinkedIn page. I, I think I don't know I put it up, may not have put it up on um, the fixed cost financial page. I'm not sure, but I know it's on my page. It's a two-part series because you can only do 10 minutes. And um, I think it's a total of 17 minutes long. Pretty good. It's just, it, I like notability. And like I said in the in the video, I've used them all. I've used all those programs. As you know, you've done the same thing. I think I have like, like 30 or 40 views on it. Now, I did put a picture of myself in front of uh, our gang of, uh, of uh, crazy fans at the Vipers game. And I have my hands out wide and uh, the guys are all dressed up and everything else. That thing has got, that gives, that's getting close to 2,000 views. So even on a more business site like LinkedIn, you put a picture up, you get pretty dogs, you know, social cause, charity, you know, you get all the thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But you put something up that you got to sit down and actually read and listen and look at, it's not, you're not going to get it. I'm not being mean about it. It is what it is. People like pretty pictures rather than... Well, you, can, you can see that that's a, that's a very common thing. I mean, it goes back, it goes back a long time. Um, there's a Japanese term uh, called sundoku. And it, it basically means that it's uh, books that people collect that don't read and they just, you know, it's a, it has more meaning in Japanese than it does, um, you know, translated to English. But, you know, the fundamental principle is there that basically people have forever collected books based on their titles and based on, you know, what the, what the, what the, uh, inside the cover, um, you know, byline says or, or, or summary says. So, you know, these technology things are just exploiting those psychological traits that people tend to have. Yeah. One of the things I think moving into the area of just like, you can't tell the difference category. I mean, some of it's really easy to tell. Obama didn't kick the door. Um, some of it's really bad. Obama didn't kick the door. Uh, some of it's just well done fraud. But the key thing is, when I say well done fraud, in the financial services industry, and this is the one thing that I think regulators don't really do a good job of, is is I very rarely see anything out there where you see an enforcement action by a company who is doing pump and dump on their stock with press releases, paying reporters, and really facilitating um, high-level high level pump and dump. And of course, you know, when you introduce any form of politics, okay, so if the organization is pro-Trump or pro-Sanders, doesn't make any difference, the opposition just goes nuts. So left-leaning news, you know, anti-Trump um, and the intelligentsia, um, self-appointed intelligentsia are, are viewed as uh, piled higher and deeper in dummies. But again, it's like this coronavirus. Uh, we've talked about this. We know people here in our community. If they literally believe that this was created by Trump and uh, it's just to scare everybody. We have others have the complete opposite view. Uh, if Trump says it's not a big deal, then it's not a big deal. I mean, again, well, no, you have the difference. It's even worse than that. You have people who think that on one hand, this is a some type of ploy by the Republicans to win the election and scare people or something. 
suppress voters. At the same time, you have the Republican Trump people saying that this is this is nothing. This is just the flu, and um, th- this is a ploy by the Democrats to scare people because it's only it's originating from you know New York and California and Washington State, and they're all run by the demon rats. It's like, well, that's unbelievably stupid both ways that you look at it. It is the 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 extreme partisan thinking applied to things that have have no partisan angle at all is is unbelievably stupid and it, it enrages me. Um because that dichotomy right there literally costs this country a month as far as the reaction time to this coronavirus thing. And unfortunately I think a lot of people are going to pay for it with their lives. Yeah, and and we were way ahead of it. It's all documented on our podcast, uh, Minting Millionaire Mindsets here, Connecting Dots. Connecting Dots is the weekend edition of Minting Millionaire Mindsets. We used to do our podcast it was called Connecting Dots. We found that it was simply too complicated for most people. And I also found out that the people that actually really enjoyed it liked the long format. So that's the reason why we went and now we've reactivated Connecting Dots as the weekend long format where we get into things. And this is the kind of stuff that we provide to our clients boy, on a really deep, constant basis. So they really know what we're thinking because we're managing their money. But um, instead of being very academic and, and very, you know, stuff-shirted, we're very loosey-goosey and kind of just roll with it because if we can't communicate efficiently and effectively, we're wasting their time, our time, and everybody's time. But when it comes to this whole thing about the coronavirus, we were so far ahead of that. That wasn't funny. I'm, I, in my opinion, I think we really nailed it. And I've actually got people that I work with per, pretty closely. They still, they still don't get it. Well, unfortunately, I mean, we've been following this for now eight weeks. And um, we were on the leading edge of it. And as usual, that has a good side and a bad side, as, as we talked about last time. You know, you feel like a crazy person, you know, looking around like, you know, is, are we crazy? And we're just, you know you know, making a big deal out of something that isn't, are we doing the chicken little or is this something that's a big deal and people just haven't woken up to it yet? And, um, I heard a, I heard a really good phrase on a YouTube video I saw the other day. This person said it was like a, a, a delayed reaction or something. I, there's a, there's a psychological term for it, but you know, it's like in the movies you see, you know, the housewife is still ironing her clothes. The nuclear bombs are going off in the background. It's like, they can't quite, they can't process it. You know, the, the shock and awe and fear of the situation, just th- their brain has to take time to process it. And I think with something that's like we talked, we've talked about, you know, it's, it's something you can't see, you know, you have to trust experts on, um, at the same time, you know, basically if you can't see it and it takes a long time for something to happen, you know, it's kind of like you're a Nostradamus type character, even though you really aren't, it's just kind of common knowledge. Um, people take a while to really get that kind of, um, get into that emergency reaction type scenario. And unfortunately, when you have something like this, that's, you know, very destructive economically and very destructive um, uh, as far as, um, yeah, I guess just economically and then and health wise, it could be. Um, it's, it's very annoying to see people just trying to make a nothing out of it when you can see it happening in other countries. That's the thing that I just really don't understand is how can you see a country like China, which everybody has in the media anyways, has has lauded as you know this great growing you know future empire of the world and they lock down all these people and how does that not scare you well apparently it scared the italians because uh you know one of the things we'll kind of bounce around here a little bit 
the coronavirus is in Italy, and according to The Guardian, and The Guardian is considered a pretty respectable uh, news organization, Sure, um, 16 million people will now be quarantined um, in, the, uh, the, in the whole of Lombardy, including the financial capital, which is Milan. Uh, 14 provinces, of which are the worst affected in the northern region, they're going to be locked down until April 3rd, and now there's a stampede, uh, and they, they literally call it... Um, a uh, sparks chaos. Uh, they are fleeing the area. And uh, so uh, dozens of police officers and medics and hazmat suits and Salerno and, and uh, they're, they're, they're going after people <laughs> who got on trains to get the hell out of Dodge. You know, it's going to spread and uh, their concern is going to spread to the South. So uh, they screwed up because it leaked. Um, before they could get it implemented. The Chinese did it very effectively because they just, oh crap, the place is being locked down. Oh God, what do we do? You know, it's just like, it just happened. Boom, snap your fingers and that's happening. Um, you can I do think, that I in think China. You can do that in other places. Yeah. I think they announced it a few hours before. I mean, you can do it in other places. The problem is, is just, you know, you have people in the Western world who do not understand, you know, the importance of, uh, you know, uh, the element of surprise and, and how, how you have to play, you have to manipulate the public, especially when you have things that are going to cr- incite a lot of fear. You know, the reality is, is sure, we would love to go out and say in two weeks, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and let's have some committee meetings and public consultations about these things. But functionally, you cannot effectively do the emergency management with that type of, you know, liberal, democratic, let's all have our input and everybody's opinion matters type of mentality. It's an emergency. Boom, boom, boom. We need to do these things. And basically you had idiots leak it, which incited just mass chaos, um, which of course doesn't help when, you know, you're trying to prevent the spread of a virus. Yeah. Let's fill up the train stations with people that nobody knows if they're sick or not. Yeah. Good idea. So it's just, it's a total mess, but Anyway, yeah, and, 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 just, and there's, there's a right time for certain protocols and there's a right time for others. And Well, that's why I kind of want to tie this together because that's what I'm saying it, it, with that Twitter. Well, I'm calling it the Twitter effect. You get that Twitter effect where the first thing you see, the book cover effect, and you're, you're leaning in that direction. So your guy says this. Okay, and then that's gospel. Now everything becomes an echo chamber. That's all you see. And so everything from the other side, because you, you know, remember what the first thing you saw is the way it is. It's all considered manipulation and propaganda and fabrication. Oh, you're just oversimplifying or oh, you're making it so complicated. Oh, it's all a distortion or it's all an exaggeration. But when it comes to you, it's not going to affect you because you're Goldilocks. It's always going to be perfect in your, yes, yes, yes. I'm over 75. I'm over 75, but I'm not going to get it because I live in Oak Run or I live in the villages or I live in Pine Run or I live in Ocala Palms or on top of the world or in Sun City Center. And I, I'm not going to get it because I'm not traveling. Yet your neighbor who was on a cruise and went all across the Pacific Rim comes back. <laughs> well, Bob just got a little bit of a, he ate too much on the, on the, uh, on the trip and, and he just doesn't really feel good. And then you get the cuckoo flu and it kills you too. I just, again, I, I go back to that thing. It's, uh, it's a Twitter effect, and I really wish people would, would just learn. Guys, show and tell is one thing. We all played that when we were kids. Um, but you've got to increase your reading level. And if you're not reading and doing the kind of work that we're doing, you got to use fiduciaries. Uh, quite literally, 40% of the country does not read. I remember growing up reading that. You heard all the time on TV when I was a kid. Reading is fundamental. And then maybe they even had that even since then. But you, you can't. You can't believe what the government says all the time. You can't believe what the news says. You got to go and dig into some of these alternative sources and sites 
And alternative does not mean it's radical. As you said earlier, uh, somebody in uh, the country that used to be called Swaziland is one of uh, five people that uh, speaks English in this region. You've got a terrible war going on over there among certain tribes. That's news, especially if you find out that a certain particular um, element of rare earth comes dramatically from that area. And if we don't get it, we're not going to have our super duper smartphones. I mean, these are the kind of things that when you're in the financial services industry, we need that information without uh, being colored and without being uh, biased. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a severe lack of critical analysis among the public on the information they're consuming. And um, if you just take things at face value, it can be really stupid. It can make you seem very stupid and it can be dangerous if you actually have any type of power or authority. So, Well, everybody has this desire for psychological empowerment. Uh, you know, I see something that's cool, so I share it. Um, one of the things I will say about Facebook, and, and I don't know if it's me, if anybody wants to uh, contact us, feel free to contact us. I, I think I'm just uh, tagged as one of those people that uses Facebook only for business. So everything we put up there, nobody sees anyways, because you can kind of see what goes on there. But um, sharing makes you feel important. Getting those little like buttons and thumbs up is it makes you feel important. Uh, kind of go back to Twitter when you get that blue icon that uh, says you've been verified. Yeah, yeah, that makes you feel good that you've been verified. But the problem is when you do that, then you're setting yourself up for when you're deplatformed, um, you know, geez, can I really say what I want to say? So again, these really weak business reporters are always trying to sound smarter than what they are, B- BMOC, big man on campus. And uh, again, uh, the coronavirus was brought to us by Sam Hyde, the uh, curator of all things evil in the world. No, it's true. And, you know, a good example is, you know, you see it among business people, you see the you know, talking, you know, with a absurdly large vocabulary just to sound smart. Um, you see people doing this on social media like you're talking about. But, you know, look at how people in business talk. Successful people in business, they have pedestrian level vocabularies like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference between, you know, the piled higher and deeper phenomenon is very true. And um, it's, it's quite it's quite funny to see that because it's like, you know, if if you're magical, you know, big words and your um, attempt to sound smarter and, and, and demean others based on, you know, your your uh, sarcastic tone and attitude, if that were indicative of success, um, I ain't seeing it. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I used to give a lot of seminars and just hundreds and hundreds of seminars, tens of thousands of people I've spoken in front of on estate planning. One of the little things I used to talk to people about is the Mary Poppins effect. And I used to be able to say real quickly, you know, like uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious isn't just a song. It's a theory and a concept. And people would laugh and they go, that's so cute. Ha ha ha. And I say, so, you know, again, it's like two all beef patties, special sauce, so cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What I'm telling you is that, um, you know, big words just oftentimes are used by people to color and, and obfuscate the fact that they're dumber than sacks of rocks. So, for example, I'm a master at, uh, I'm a master pre- uh, prestidigitator, and I would just let it hang there. And eventually somebody would have the, the gumption to say, what is that? I said, press the digitator. Yeah, that's just a magician. And just another way of saying magician. And so 
you know, you just have people who will say things. I'll give you a good example, uh, turning to the area of employment. We just found out that non-farm employment was up 175,000 last month. Uh, prior month, it was 225. And a lot of people said, well, you know, unemployment's down to 3.5%. So the coronavirus, I, God dang, I've heard this. The coronavirus is not a big deal because people are still working and unemployment went down. And it, well, okay, so you got you one, two, three, four, five, six, you got all these different unemployment numbers, but you do realize that's looking backwards. That's not looking forward. So if we, for example, take a look at Italy right now, all the universities, all the schools, they're already closed. The cinemas are closed. Museums are closed. Theaters are closed. LeBron James said, if, if, if there ain't people in the stands, I ain't playing basketball. Okay, Dick, uh, you got people out there who might be seriously sick and spreading germs and CAA. You probably remember the, the uh, school that said, no, gyms are closed. Swim pools are closed, ski resorts, all of them done. All sporting events, all public events in Italy, in this area, done. Bars and restaurants, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then get back home, you're done. Weddings, funerals, all have been banned in this area. What's that going to do to commercial trade? What's that going to do when you have a lockdown? Oh yeah, non-farm payroll is up 175. Unemployment in the United States is down to 3.5. And that was then, this in the future. You make money not by looking in the past. You're you're doomed to repeat the, the mistakes of the past if you don't know your history. But connecting dots and being a forecaster, sitting back and going, uh, yeah, one and one is still two. And we got a uh, really big thing coming. And it's not just two. It's two and two equals four, eight, 16. It's going to be ugly. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, these these numbers, I, I, I saw one headline when the... Uh when the payroll numbers came out, I guess it was on Friday. Um, I saw one headline, one article that was perfectly encapsulated. It's like the most useless, uh, the most useless unemployment number uh, so far this century. And it's true. It's, it's a, it's a trailing indicator of economic progress. It is not, and it has a huge, it's, it's a big, you know, it's the largest indicator of how the economy is going. So up until that point, yeah, things are going good, but it is not an indicator of things going forward as a trailing effect, as a, as a long tail on, you know, the economy can totally explode, but the unemployment situation will slowly ramp up. It has an extremely long tail on it. And then reversing it is equally a pain in the ass. It's just, you're working, you're working both sides. And if you're trying to manipulate that number, you have to have a really long time horizon to figure it out. And I think there's a lot of emphasis put on this because it does, it is important, but on a short-term basis, it means nothing. Well, I think one of the problems, and I've always said this, and this goes back to when I, oh gosh, I just, I don't even know when it's been. I mean, you start to, years become decades and decades become lifetimes now. Um, the unemployment number everybody reports is, is the U3. That's the official unemployment number, the U3. The U5 includes discouraged workers and others who are, quote, marginally attached. Now, the U6 adds those workers who are part-time, but they're doing it for economic reasons because they cannot find full-time employment. So the actual real number, in my opinion, who am I? I'm Paul Truesdale. I've just been doing this now for a long, long time. The number I think that you really want to focus on is the U6. Uh, and the U6 is at 6.9% as of January 2020. So it's a little bit higher unemployment rate than the official rate, which is a U3 at 3.5%. Just so you know, 
Um, and I know this is really hard to understand for those of you who think that 500 million divided by 325 million equals a grand total of $1 million, like uh, the journalist, um, I think it's Makika Rivas, who uh, said that Bloomberg spent 500 million for president, and that equals a million dollars for every American, and he still couldn't get elected. And Brian Williams of uh, whatever crap network he's on now. Uh, MSNBC. Well, I said that because I have no use for that guy. I never did. He was a he was a, a four flusher the minute he. I, I just uh, I know the little background of that guy. He's a he's a he's a um, yeah. Let's just be nice about it. Just Bottom have line, that expectation for every talking head. Yeah, they didn't, get, yeah. they didn't get there because of brains. They got there because of politics. End of story. It's not a big deal. I know. But I just don't like Brian Williams. Anyways, let me get over that. One, two, three, wooza, wooza. Anyways, um, yeah. You want, why don't you elaborate on that? Uh, because I, you know about that. I know about that. It's just, it, it kind of ties together. It's like, oh, the unemployment is 3.45%. Woo-woo! And a million dollars? You got to be kidding me. What was the story there? Well, okay. So you have a Washington Post reporter or something or another. Um, I think it's more, I think she's more than a reporter. Whatever, I don't care. Um, some, some employee at the Washington Post reports that, that, you know, he could have given everybody in America a million dollars and still had money left over. Okay. I don't, you know, he could have given everybody a dollar, but whatever. Um, it's like a buck 52. <laughs> well, yeah, it's actually a dollar 50, but you know, when you, when you count it uh, out to the official numbers, but it's just, a you know, it's very, very stupid math. Um, you know, obviously you're off by, I don't know, let's see a factor of, uh, well, you're off, you're off by a million dollars per person. So, you know, congratulations. Maybe you should go back to elementary math. Um, maybe she was a graduate when they had new math, when it was just get close. It could be. And then you had uh, a editorial board member for the New York Times on with Brian Williams. And they ran the story and they were just, oh, it's so true. Oh, it's, it's so horrible. Oh. They failed both of them and everybody, everybody whose eyes or fingers that story passed through to reach the on-screen graphic, which somebody had to capture it and put it in, a, put it in their, their graphics pack for that day. The editorial people... Nobody along the line either caught it or if they did, they just decided they would sit back and laugh at them as they, you know, embarrassed themselves on TV. Not only did the Washington Post reporter embarrass themselves because they posted the tweet, which is just idiotic. But then you had an editorial board member for the New York Times and Brian Williams. So it's just, it's a total embarrassment. The whole situation is just really pathetic. There's no other way to put it. I, I thought you made a comment to me, which was hilarious. And, I, and I've, it's been in my on the forefront of my brain ever since that you said, even the guy that did the graphics, I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, and, to be and, honest, the guy who does the graphics probably saw it and laughed and said, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Or it's it's the blue check. He's like, I, I don't want to say anything because I'd be afraid of being deplatformed or in other words, fired because it's such a gross air. We're just going to do the ostrich in the uh, sand. It's, you know, what you put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 la. just whatever. I don't see it. <laughs> Mary, what was that? Uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, I, Martin Mull was in that. Anyways, the father on that. We were talking about that the other day. I forgot to get his name. You know, he just used to draw a little air square and say, I'm not here. <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, 
you can see the different pressures at play there. And either either way, it's not good. Not good for, for journalistic integrity or honesty. Well, journalism, journalistic integrity, one of the things we should be talking about is, is how the dramatic effect that China has on oil consumption, oil consumption, energy consumption, pollution. I mean, you're really good at uh, talking about that, but I want you to talk a little bit about some of the uh, satellite photos of, of China and what they're doing to... Uh, fake news it. But, you know, look, OPEC is a cartel. There are drug cartels. Here in the United States, we have banking cartels. I don't know why we're afraid to to call it the way it is. In Silicon Valley, we have technology cartels. We have social media cartels. It's always going to be that way. And, and the government wants us to have cartels because it's easier to deal with a limited number of, of CEOs than, a, than a, a, a bunch of people that are actively engaged in business. I mean, we do not have a capitalist society. We just don't. Anybody that says otherwise is, oh, Paul, oh, that's my Susan. Oh, Paul, you're just making a mountain of, no, we, we're not. We don't have a cap. We have, an, we have a corporatocracy. Uh, we have a lot of small employers, but the big guys, it's, it's a corporatocracy. But here's the thing. China, Italy, if the United States takes a pullback, what's going to happen with all the shale oil workers in the Midwest? I mean, obviously, they're going to be unemployed because shale costs more to get out of the ground. We have so much oil. The Russians, they're not cutting back. So why don't you just elaborate a little bit on that and, and run with it? Well, I mean, very simply, OPEC had a their OPEC Plus, which is basically OPEC Plus allies meeting um, this week or this past week, and the they had a tentative agreement to cut production to keep oil prices up. And um, basically, Russia said, "Nah, we're not doing that." With this, the, basically, Russia's sitting in a with a better financial position than a lot of OPEC members. And they, the thing, I, I saw a great chart the other day. I, I'll have to find it. Um, it had uh, Russia, Saudi, and U.S. oil production, which the three largest oil producers in the world um, since the 1990s. And Saudi, they're now third. Saudi Arabia used to be the global leader in oil exports. They're now third. And the United States is beating them, but Russia is, 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 is a, the, the growth in Russian oil exports is amazing. Um, you know, you can have all this stupid commentary about, oh, they're... Uh, you know, they're nothing more than a petro-terrorist state, which you see that type of commentary a lot out of um, the American left. And, and you also see it out of the right. But anyways, it's just, it's a, it's a stupid observation. That's their, that's their export that's most valuable. And that's what they're, that's what they're selling. They decided that basically they're going to take this opportunity to increase their market share. If everybody else can't afford to keep pumping, then they're going to keep pumping. Um, Saudi Arabia in the past 24 hours has basically said that nope, we're if if we if we can't get a agreement to cut, then we're going to flood the market with oil. They cut their um, contract prices with uh, North Atlantic and Asia by um, I think it was between five and eight percent per barrel, um, which is quite a bit. And then they're apparently going to open the floodgates on production. Um, the Russians have stated they're going to do the same thing. So other countries, I believe it was um, UAE or Qatar, I can't remember which one, one of the other Gulf states, OPEC members, they're doing the same thing. Obviously, Iran has been attempting to court, you know, China and others. So the likelihood is with China, with uh, Iran, you know, any oil sold is better than than no oil sold. And for them, the cost of production is fairly low. Um, so the likelihood is they will, they will lower prices to keep their Chinese customers. 
um, you, the only thing, basically they're flooding the market to push the United States out of the oil business. And the cost of oil per barrel, legitimately, depending on how extreme this gets, could could go below $30 a barrel. And I'm not even joking here. When you count in um, drop in demand due to global shipping and uh, economic you know, recession due to the coronavirus stuff, and then you combine that with the literal oil warfare that's going on, or at least has been kicked off, you can potentially see dramatically lower oil prices. So yes, what you're talking about shale oil, I mean, you need above $60 a barrel to, for a lot of these companies to make money doing shale. Um, it's just because it's hard to get. The technology is expensive. It requires a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, actual materials and special, special formulated uh, synthetic materials and things to be able to do the weird sideways drilling and scanning and the expertise and all the stuff that goes into it. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a, a severe problem in the short term. Oil this week has been hovering around $45 a barrel. So it's already significantly below that profitability line for most producers. That's going to be a problem. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what we're looking at as of this week. It's very, very interesting to see. Um, anybody that has been uh, invested in oil, I, I recall the beginning of this year, some analysts saying that, oh, oil oil prices are expected to increase, you know, to historic norms, you know, by, by the middle of this year. And they were projecting, you know, 65 to $70 a barrel oil by summer. And, you know, we're not going to see that. We're going to see maybe half that. Well, if you, if you want to look at things from, and it, again, you and I were talking yesterday about it. I said the, the one person who made the one statement that is not recognized as the, in my opinion, the greatest statement ever made by a president of the United States is um, Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, who said the uh, business of America is business, the business of government is business, whatever. And it's true. And I, I think I ran through and I talked about how, you know, one of the things we don't understand in this country is the importance of tariffs, the importance of a level playing field. I think Trump has talked about it. Whether he's done it or not, I'm not going to get into the politics. At least he spoke about, he spoke to us, okay, here at Fixed Cost Financial, what he was saying, it's just not fair, okay? And, and we've been preaching this way before he ever came around. The bottom line is you have to view nations not as uh, nations. You have to view them as businesses. You can't view a state as one of the 50 states, District Columbia, Guam. and These are businesses. There's a reason why Rick Scott, our former governor, was running all around the country and telling everybody how great Florida is. And we give incentives for businesses to relocate to Florida. We're taking business away from other states. It's your business. And that's something I don't think people really understand. Um, and once you understand that, um, it, it starts to make sense. Like, for example, just in terms of pure economic warfare, Boeing is in the toilet. Boeing, for a lot of reasons, I don't know if we want to get in today, maybe another day we'll talk about it. But Boeing is, I really thought that it was a, a minor problem. They would get those planes back. I, I didn't realize how deep the rot is there and people should be going to jail, in my opinion. But the same thing is true of NASA. The same thing will be true of oil. If I was Russia, you're damn right. I'll fly you all day long up into space because you're losing that institutional knowledge. At NASA, if we went to the moon and if we've done half the things they say we've done, so many of these guys that quite literally were able to do 
massive calculations with a slide rule and an abacus today can't be done with the most advanced computers, but we were able to go to the moon. We were able to land. We were able to come back. We were able to save Tom Hanks who flew Apollo 13 and uh, we were able to get him back. And, hey, you know that, uh, remember, Lincoln was a vampire slayer. That's how he got elected and became president of the United States. So the bottom line is, yeah, if, I'm, if I was Russia, if I was Putin, I'd do everything to crush oil. I'd do everything to, to, uh, to uh, help keep Boeing down. Talk about uh, if you want to have a fake news thing. You know, by the way, they spent, what, $200,000 and got Donald Trump elected. But uh, again, Bloomberg spent $500 million, a million on every per- person in the United States and couldn't get elected. 620 is the official number. <laughs> so he actually spent about $2, getting close to $2 per person in the United States to, you could have just put a stamp on, on a letter and send it to him. But the bottom line is you see where you got to think outside of the box. In fact, you got to reject that the box even exists in order to do proper forecasting. And when you do your forecasting, it's just bets. It's like, uh, I think her name is Annie Duckworth, and in, in, in thinking in terms of bets, it's on my, my shelf behind me. I've actually read the book uh, three times. I've, I've, there are sections that I don't, it's just, you know, gobbledygook, but she's got a couple of really good points. It's a whole mindset, um, you know, like it's like getting up in the morning and you do, you go potty, you take a shower, you go do shower, you do your business, but you got to stretch, you got to bend, you got to do your different things. You got to get your cardiovascular system going. And I just don't think, I, I, I'm just begging people to listen to our podcast to, Guys, we're in an economic war here, and 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 always have been. Yeah, and the country, thing. yeah, but let me yeah, go. But the thing is, the countries that are that are more totalitarian are going to come out ahead of us. I, I really do believe that right now because I'm watching what North Korea is doing. I'm I'm just you know, well, are, are we are we are we facing a real oh, mama? How did we get here? Uh, situation. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily totalitarian. It's just a unified approach. Um, if, you, you know, you can have a liberal democracy compete extremely effectively if everybody's on the same page, or at least enough people are that they drown out the morons. And yeah, I mean, I it's just, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like it or not. I mean, you know, the, the, the old family guy joke about, you know, you know, nonsensical words, nine eleven, and everybody rallies behind the person. It has its benefits. And if you haven't uh, seen an episode. Lois runs for public office, and she stands up and says, "We need more water, more this or that." And nine one one, and everybody cheers. Headlines. Yeah. So you know, everybody agrees. And you know, I guess that's just my point. It's not necessarily totalitarian. It's just if you can get either the government or business or both or the people or whatever all kind of on board with what needs to be done, then, you know, then you can do it. I mean, a, a good example is Russia, technically a democracy. Um, you know, it's just everybody seems to agree. If you take things at face value, which, you know, goes both ways. But if you take things at face value, you know, the people are fairly aligned with they support Putin. He's running the country fairly effectively. They all, I mean, not all, but, you know, 60 plus percent of the population believes in a long-term stable governing leadership of the country. Um, and they trust him to do what's necessary to basically evolve the Russian state into a, 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 uh, a stable uh, society for them and, and a, a platform for um, business with I guess, um, you know, it's part of the Western world and, and mainly with the Eastern world that, you know, the United States doesn't really understand or have access to, um, not in the same way that, that, that Russia does. They all enjoy the same luxuries. And, and that's kind of their position on it. And, you know, we get mad and call them a totalitarian state because they keep electing the same guy over and over. 
But the reality is, is I think anybody could look at that and they should be envious of the type of situation they're in where the people agree that a long-term strategic plan can take, can not only be planned, but can be brought to fruition, not over four years, not over eight years, but over, you know, 16, 20, 25, 30 years, you know, not everything happens in the flash of an eye, like, like in this country. And anyways, it's just, you know, a good example is like, uh, is, is the oil, the shale oil boom. I mean, it really took a lot of people like 30 years to effectively pull off shale oil. And it required a lot of technology advancements, land rights acquisition, um, you know, all, all kinds of crazy stuff to be able to pull it off. And it also required oil prices to be extremely high. Otherwise, it never would have even made sense. Um, you know, you had to have people with some amount of long-term vision to be able to pull some of these just, you know, 30 years ago, what kind of crackpot are you? You're going to put pipes and angles down in the ground and drill oil from three miles away with, you know, pipes and sonar and like data analysis. Like, yeah, right. You're crazy. Well, you know, you, you heard me say that it, it, again, it, it, it's about 40 years ago that um, 30, 40 years ago uh, that I was introduced to uh, uh, horizontal drilling. And we had uh, a guy come in and they, they were looking for uh, venture capital. And um, they talked all about shale oil and all of us were like completely new on this stuff. And I literally sat back and I remember I really upset the owner of the company, of our company, when I said, but what happens if everybody does this? and the price of oil goes down and you can't make money. Is there any, what are, are there other oil deposits and reserves out there? Because it was already at this really like very narrow band and they kind of like skipped over the costs of things. And I remember thinking, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. The earth is like a sponge and there's a lot of oil out there. Um, but that kind of seems like a Hail Mary when I can find another pocket and just, it comes out like a Jeb Clampett. Comes out of the out of the ground like a bubbling crew. I mean, it just. Um, I never invested in that stuff. We never, we've never taken a position in it, and I'm kind of glad now. I mean, I I know we missed some opportunities, but I'm exceedingly it? volatile. Like you know, the booms are, are extremely large, and the busts are just sickening and depressing. Um, there's there's no stabilization in that market, and a lot of it is private. So you know. Well, the other thing is, if you go back to that TV show, uh, Better Call Saul, his girlfriend, the attorney, has a client, and she is actually, I believe, is not. It's, it's uh, around the scene where she has the accident and she's really hurt. She's working for a, a banking entity, but you might remember she was out talking to somebody about. I think she had a car accident. I don't remember all the scene, but it was she was coming back from a, a driller who said, yeah, I mean, my neighbor is taking my oil or he was being charged for taking oil because of the way. And I, I said that uh, a long time ago. I said, you know, the whole idea of it's like riparian rights. Who owns the water? Who owns the land? Well, a defined land. And that's, again, it goes back to what I said to this guy, defined, defined land, because I mean, how deep do I own what I own? I mean, I have mineral rights and everything else. How do I know that I'm taking... They couldn't answer any of those questions. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. I will say we were talking, you, you mentioned earlier, just a little while ago, about Russia and the diversification, this whole thing that Saudi Arabia is doing. Uh, I don't. He may be the king today. I didn't see the news. Uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam. I don't know if I got that correct. Um, he's a vicious SOB, but in October of 2018, um, they announced the beginning of what they want to call Nome. I think it's N. E-O-M, is that, uh, is that how it's pronounced? 
And they, they say they're going to complete it by 2025. There's not a chance. Well, they, the first phase might be completed there, but they're planning to build a 16 borough city. It's a whole planned community, incredibly ambitious project, $500 billion minimum build out on that thing. It's by the Red Sea um, because they, they need diversification because they're going to run out of oil. What, what you told me the other day, what's their oil situation there now? You mentioned it earlier to the, earlier in the podcast. Well, I mean, they're, they're, the oil war is going on. I mean, they're, as far as production goes, they're third. Um, the problem is, is, of course, oil reserves. Like nobody, nobody, one of the reasons their IPO for Aramco was a problem and, you know, their Aramco stock price apparently in the, the Saudi Arabian markets is just plummeting today because their markets are open. On Sunday, um, they uh, the the biggest the big problem with their valuation kept coming back to the fundamentals of what are your oil reserves? What do you actually have? What do you have access to? What do you have rights to pump out? Blah blah blah. And the problem is, is every major oil producer knows that they're they're fibbing about how much they say they have. You know, you can't pump millions of barrels per day or uh, per month, per year, whatever, out of the ground continually and then just say, oh, well, you know, we, we have more than ever, you know, especially when your exploration has severely dried up over the years. Um, so anyways, generally speaking, I mean, a lot of the value of Aramco is not necessarily their ability to pump it out of the ground like it is Chevron or ExxonMobil or, or even the... Um, uh, Russian uh, oil producers. It's the fact that Aramco, for all practical purposes, owns the oil fields. It's it's the you know the they they have the exclusive rights to pump and sell from those fields. So you know it's just it's a complicated problem to look at. If you don't trust that they have all these oil reserves, then what's the actual value of the company? It's severely less. You know they do have a lot of institutional knowledge, refining capacity transportation routes, relationships, all that stuff that's extremely important. But if they don't have if they don't have as much oil in the ground as they say they did or are implying they did, then they're not worth as much. And that's that's been a, a huge problem. So I don't know. I mean going forward, they could they may have a ton of oil and they're just playing coy or they may be totally lying and this is like a Hail Mary to to get enough market, you know, enough of the market captured so that they can fund these projects for the next 20 years. And then they're totally screwed after that. I don't know, but it's, they're, they're potentially in a precarious situation to say the least. Yeah. Their um, 52 week high is 3870, uh, 52 week low is 2990. They're currently trading at uh, 30, literally market capitalization of $103 billion. And that is going down as we speak. So yeah, they've got to diversify. There's no doubt about it. Um, 103 billion. Yeah. That's what they say. That's a company that wanted to go public at a market cap of $2 trillion. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, if fake, 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 I guess I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of, I guess part of what we're talking about today is, you know, news organizations claiming everybody else is fake news and they're not. How about the uh, fact that um, an arrest was made by the Iranians? So we don't let, you know, let's, let's go with you pick your choice as to who's the liar. Um, they had this thing that people were licking uh, shrines and had this whole thing and it was spreading the coronavirus. I even saw it. I, I will tell you, I, I, I said, well, okay, I don't know about it, but I know that in Israel, they have this whole, the Wailing Wall and all that. I extrapolated the Wailing Wall to this, and I, to me, I just kept on moving. 
But you told me that's all uh, crapola. That was, uh, they've made an arrest on it, right? Yeah. So the basic deal is the, um, in the Western media, they promoted this, I think it's silver or gold, some type of um, shrine at uh, these sacred mosques in Iran. And they had pictures and video of people. Oh, they, they lit the, the, the shrine and, you know, they, oh, this is spreading the coronavirus. Uh, and the locals are saying that, oh, they, you look at it and it'll save you, which is just, you know, mentally handicapped. And a lot of people bought it because, you know, that seems like something backwards people would do. And despite the, you know, equality movements and, you know, universalization of, of values and rights that, you know, the West tries to portray, um, you still have a huge portion of the population that, you know, think that everybody that isn't them is backwards and stupid and third world and still walking on their hands and feet. <laughs> and in uh, oh, yeah, the missing link, are you referring to that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the, anyways, in any case, the, the, the media and the Western media picked up on this story and reported it far and wide. And what it came down to was you have some elements of religious extremists who believe that, you know, yes, you know, you can lick this thing and magically it'll save you. Sure. Okay. Very small percentage of the population that would be like, I don't know, attributing Scientology to like all Americans or something. It's just like very stupid. Um, and then on top of what they, it turns out that this is this was some type of photo op. Um, somebody actually had pictures of the reporters that were taking the pictures. So you know, taking pictures of the people taking pictures of this event. They uh, Iranian authorities apparently went and got these people and arrested them for basically creating agitprop because that's really what it is. So um, it's just funny because you know if you play on people's preconceived notions, you can very easily spread fake news around, and that's kind of plays into exactly what we've been talking about. Yeah, you know, it's like the uh, the old thing you see uh, twenty or thirty uh, protesters, and you get the journalists. Now, everybody get together, get together for that tight shot, and everybody's screaming and hollering and carrying on. It's like wow, you know. And then the reporter says, "We're standing in front of the REA Express Building, and union workers are demanding that uh, Teamsters want to be unionized." and blah, 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 reporting for NBC News. I'm diddly-doo and duck here. And that actually happened to my dad. My father was retired as the vice president of the world's largest trucking company, REA Express, uh, regional vice president, one of the last three people with the company. Not going to go into the details, but my dad used to talk about how the, uh, the uh, AFL-CIO and the, the Teamsters were always trying to unionize their guys. And, and the, uh, he said, I hate that damn news. He hated the news because they, they would get, they'd get a, gather together 20 or 30 people and they'd go in front of a building and they would stage it. You'd have the company logo in the back and sure you'd have the company truck there. And then you'd have 30 or 40 protesters. They'd have the tight shot and everybody would be screaming. It's not like, all oh, Billy Hell's breaking loose. It's 1968 uh, Democratic National Convention, John Daly and the, the it's, it's, it's all going to break loose. <laughs> and they get their shot and everybody walk away and be done. <laughs> Dad go, damn fools. <laughs> he hated that's that. just perception. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Again, if you want to know where it comes from me, I mean, I, I get I get sick and tired of this headline stuff because I live with this stuff. What are you going to say there? Well, it's just it, what it comes down to is it's perception management. That's all it does. So what do people think is going on? Well, let's talk a little bit about well, what's going to happen. We, we have, uh, we've got a couple of people that uh, you and I are going to be seeing uh, tomorrow, in fact, uh, that have kind of expressed this is not a big deal. And, and I agree with you. It's like, like Bill Murray. It just doesn't matter. People are born. People die. It just doesn't matter. It's, it's part of life. 
what does matter is when you get a lot of people dying or a lot of people being born at one time, it causes events and it causes movements. And we talk about baby boomers, you know, how the, you know, 76 million people were born between 1946 and 1964 caused a lot of issues, obviously. And we're de- dealing with that to this day, all the retirees. And, um, but that being said, it, you know, a lot of it just doesn't matter. But what you do is it does matter in terms of things like business activity, supply chain disruptions. Look at travel and meeting cancellations. I think that is an area that potentially is going to be devastated. What do you think? Yeah, um, I have I have a video that I saw right before we started this, and the LA port is empty. Oh, really? It's we were talking days. about that, but uh, Long Beach, just everybody knows, I follow the Long Beach Container Cargo Report. I, uh, I, I follow that actually fairly closely. I know that Long Beach is way down. You know more about Los Angeles than I do. What's going on out there? It's empty. There's a video from this morning. The thing is empty. That's it. There's nothing that. there. There's literally containers in a small portion of it on one row, not even double stacked. There's no imports. And... The, I mean, this is a place that you would not be able to see from one side of the place to the other. It's stacked 10 plus high. It's insane. Um, it's actually starting to happen. And, you know, it, it's going to be ugly. Economically, it's going to be ugly. The jobs situation, who knows? We'll see. I did see that uh, Microsoft, their entire campus went to remote working. Remote, remote work for any type of professional services is going to be huge, at least for the next month or two as this whole thing kind of shakes out. Um, I did see, you know, Microsoft, they have uh, have a huge number of hourly workers. I I didn't know they had that many at their campus, something like 6,000, something like that. Really? And um, non-salaried workers. And they basically said that even if we can't use your services full-time, basically we're just going to keep paying you because we don't want to have to rehire people when this cluster is over. Um, Obviously, Facebook and Apple and all these other companies are going to remote work for all their all their, um, you know, skilled labor, that type of thing. You know, basically, if you don't have to go into do hands-on anything, basically stay home. Um, I know last week, JP Morgan, they did a trial run of their work at home initiative, which apparently they have kind of had for disaster emergency management, which makes sense considering 9-11 and they're in New York and all that type of thing. Um, so you have a lot of people actually, you know, very taking the initiative, but the problem is, is not everybody work can, works in, a, in an industry that you can just take your work at home. I mean, you know, you, we literally have a huge portion of the population who work service jobs, who work, you know, delivery, who work, all these other things. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out. I expect um, service, the service economy to just totally implode um, in the short term you know, massive recessionary effect in at least the the next quarter. Um, delivery, stuff like that, I expect, you know, if, if, you're, if you're doing, you know, FedEx, UPS, delivery stuff, that type of thing, I think those are going to be massively in demand as basically everything is going to have to be delivered to people. Um, I know in China, they were resorting to using the military to, to, to take, take out food to people. So, I mean, that's... You know, I, I doubt that is going to be able to be replicated here, but, you know, something is going to have to be done. Um, I wonder how food delivery services like, uh, you know, Lyft, Grubhub, Uber, things like that are going to work. I mean, I, you know, I can see it playing out like you'd expect. Um, there's a lot of very interesting things. I, I think is the general large scale kind of perspective to look at is that this is not going to be a permanent thing in any way, shape or form, that this is a 
unique, very acute shock to the system that is going to be ugly for some. But if you can basically, if, if you can wait, wait it out, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, if, if anything, it's going to create a boom in certain, especially certain industries as people are going to be getting out of, if they, if they're in quarantine, when they get out, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to get out and go spend money and go to eat and go to movies and do stuff that's not in their house. Their house is going to look like a prison to them. On the other hand, some people will be so conditioned. It's like, Oh, I like laying around my house all day. So, you know, it's just, it's going to be a balance. Things will shake out. But I think generally speaking, this is a a short term acute incident. But from an investor, standpoint. And again, I always tell everybody the same thing. Uh, My name is Paul Truesdell and I'm a lifestyle business where business is a lifestyle. I'd like you to now use your name. Your name is John Smith and you're John Smith and you're a lifestyle business where business is a lifestyle. And I ask you to think for Christ's sakes, just think. Uh, Critical thinking is something that's absolutely critical. And it's something that I rail about all the time because we're all equal when it comes to that. I mean, you have the ability, uh, whether you're an episodic or diachronic in, in, in your capabilities. Bottom line is you can do it. But of course, CPAC now, they had uh, the virus there. You have casinos, you have cruise liners, you have uh, people robbed a, a casino in, uh, in uh, Nevada wearing surgical masks. Well, yeehaw. You know, we're going to be going to the Vipers game next week, and at least I'm going. I will. I will have my uh, my. Uh, I will have. I will be appropriately prepared. I have some inquiries I'll be making today about that. Coachella looks like they're going to be canceled. LeBron, I mentioned earlier, I'm not playing without fans. But at the same time, Major League Baseball said, yeah, no spring autographs. Get the hell away from the players. Um, China, oh, we should even talk about the hotel that collapsed. Uh, that was a brand new five-star hotel, wasn't it? What was the story there? I mean, that's all the information I have is that it was a five-star hotel and something went bad. I don't know exactly what. I know there may have been some type of building collapse nearby that hit like a major support beam and caused a domino effect. I'm not quite sure what the details are, but you know. What do we know from our own research and that of others about the construction quality of a lot of the places, especially in those ghost cities? Well, the ghost city construction is terrible. Um, in, in, but I don't, I don't, I don't know the details about the specific building, so I'm not going to make any claims. But generally speaking, it's um, probably atrocious. But even if it wasn't, it was. It, the the problem is not that the building collapsed. I mean, this is a thing that happens mm-hmm. in in China. But the thing is that it was how it was warehousing these uh, quarantined coronavirus people, so it made you know disaster recovery a lot more complicated. That's exactly. And, and that's the thing that you have firefighters up in, was it, uh, is it Washington State? Um, firefighters and paramedics, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so what happens if 25% of those people in the country are sitting down and they're sick? Well, here's something also to consider. In the United States, especially in the state of Florida, you have a odd, I don't really understand what the point of this is other than to just burn more fuel and put more wear and tear on vehicles, but pretty much every emergency distress call you get the fire trucks and you get the ambulances. And I can see that that practice being phased out at least short term, because if you have somebody who's sick, I mean, do you want to stretch resources and then just, you know, the ability to prevent, you know, extreme contamination and that type of stuff. I can see that that practice being phased out and basically, you know, your, your fire EMS people are, are going to be going with, with, you know, the cavalry isn't going to come because, you know, somebody's choking on a, on a Twinkie. And then again, you know, everybody's got to have a car, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> Everybody's got to have a car. Um, let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, I thought it was interesting that Warren Buffett um, basically says it's going to be business as usual. They're going to have their uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, announced at the May 2nd annual shareholders meeting in Omaha. Generally attracts about 40,000 people. They're going to continue to have it. Um, they said irrespective of conditions, Scope of the meeting is such that uh, they can modify some things, but uh, they have no plans to uh, cancel it. Um, again, I'm 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 a baby boomer, and I get to say this: I am so disgusted with the uh, people who are older than baby boomers, the older baby boomers, and even the ones that are my age. I'm so disgusted with this. It's business as usual, and if if you really feel that way, then why don't you go and go to a buffet and uh, and stand next to somebody who's coughing and and that's uh you know that's another thing. Was it Golden Corral? I wouldn't want to own stock in that thing. No, <laughs> you? not at all. No, I mean, you know, when you're looking at these, you know, things will not be business as usual. You know, that's just the Berkshire Hathaway event. It's just delusional. It's just a matter of time before it gets canceled. Um, I, I just, it's, it's, it shows you the level of uh, leadership at that company is pathetic. Um, when you, as far as things that won't be business as usual, I mean, a good example is like what you're talking about, large gatherings of people and things like that. But when you, when you try and fast forward a few months and, you know, we're past this thing, the thing that will be interesting, what are things that will not recover? The thing I can think of is any, anything related to cruising. Cruising is dead. And the very simple reason is this virus has basically been able to spread because of the Petri dish that cruise liners have, have operated as. Um, these people get on the ships, they get sick. We now have a second princess cruise liner coming. There was one on the Nile, um, but they're being redistributed back to home. And the problem is a lot of these people, oh, you didn't test positive on our magic test that doesn't seem to be all that great. Oh, now you're spreading it among airport screeners, people at the airport, hotel workers, restaurants, all of the above. Um, so I, I can see cruises in general, just that being a, a decimated industry for at least the next few years as the, the memory of the, you know, the death cruises remains in the back of people's minds. Yeah, and, and I want to say something. So this is a, a trigger warning to all of you who are, um, you know, have thin skinned and are uh, have a low IQ. The swastika was discovered carved into stone and is dated as back as far as 15,000 years ago. They got a piece of ivory. Um, it's uh it's either a mammoth tusk and it's, it's got a bird and it's got a swastika, which that is a symbol of fertility uh, from years ago. But now the Germans took it, and so it's forever ruined. Swastika, Hitler, yada, 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 it is forever ruined. So the symbol of fertility, what is it, the Indians or the Pakistanis, Buddhists, it's still a, a fairly uh, oftentimes used symbol. Uh, I think it's uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Jainism, et cetera. There are some Christian uh, sects out there that do the same thing. Uh, it's, I, I know it has been on Greek currency um, in the, the medieval uh, Renaissance period, uh, the, some of the Baroque architecture. Again, lots of different things. It was not created by Adolf Hitler. It was not used by strictly Nazi Germany. It had to do refer originally to um, fertility, but it's forever ruined. I got news for you. Uh, cruise ships could literally wind up being 
the floating swastikas. I'm not going there. I don't even want to be on those things. It scares the hell out of me. I see that as, as you just said, I think that's a long-term um, bad business play. What do you think? Even for the small operators. Yeah. I mean, just any type of cruising in general is, is toast for the foreseeable future until this thing becomes a, 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 a distant memory. Yeah. It, is, it always comes down. And of course, to- who knows? Distant memory may mean five years, but yeah. at the very least, you know, people... People will, the first thing they'll think of is, you know, cruise ship. Oh, am I going to get sick? Sam Hyde. It's irrational, but it is what it is. Sam Hyde. Sam Hyde did it. I will say this going forward and we'll wrap this up. Uh, Handshakes are out for me. Don't ask me to shake hands. I'm not going to do it. Had a guy at the last uh, Tampa Bay Vipers game. If you are a fan of football and you love football, watch the XFL. They've done a great job. Really love it. What do you think about it? You enjoy it like, like as much as I had? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's fun to watch. You know, faster paced games. You know, it's uh, less um, professional as far as the, I guess the uh, efficiency of plays and that type that type of thing. But you know, it is just the first year, and a lot of these guys haven't played in a long time, so it is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely fun. To me, the players are having fun. I, I, they got a little bit more celebration. I got, <laughs> I got to tell you the first game yesterday that was on ABC was just fun to watch. The guy ran in and got a touchdown and, uh, he <laughs> jumped over the wall and got into the stands with the fans and it was hilarious. And they ruled that he was down on the one or two. Well, he wound up getting the ball again and <laughs> he scored and did the same damn thing. I, it was so much fun to watch, you know, the NFL, no celebrating, no this, no that. I like the way they do the kickoffs. I like the extra point thing. Uh, you know, I, 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 I like it. It's a lot of fun, but I was at the game with you, uh, last uh, week and, uh, and a guy, uh, in our box, we have a box uh, on the, uh, which is so cool. We we are literally on the playing field, and there's uh, 30 of us that are down there. We bought season tickets, and it's just it's just so cool. And we got the greatest guys in the world behind us, and uh, in in the stands, and it's just a, a really good relationship we got going on. And uh, we'll say Raymond James, the ladies that take care of us, a shout out to them. They do a fantastic job. But the point being is, I had a guy. And uh, he's a physician and uh, he didn't shake hands and we just did an elbow bump. And I, I thought about it. I said, yeah, we, we need to adopt that. So I have a policy of no more, no more handshaking. And uh, I'm going to be taking a little bit of extra precaution. As we roll out of here, I, I'd, I'd like you to kind of tell our, our, our folks here, give them a little bit of an idea of what we're doing to protect our staff, protecting ourselves uh, the precautions that we've made, you know that I've talked about for decades, the importance of audio, video, telecommunications. Why don't you just run through that because that's your area as uh, our chief technology officer and uh, kind of let people know that it's business as usual, no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, so we, you know, emphasize the and in, in try to leverage the use of uh you know, online scheduling, Zoom conferences, phone calls, just all the all the basic stuff um, for you know long distance communication in, in the in the modern world as much as possible. Um, you know, the ability to you know do you know I guess uh, audiovisual communication is extremely important and um, not just important during a time of crisis, but also just it's it's important because you don't have to travel, you don't have to do crazy scheduling and meeting and all the, all the stuff involved in that stuff. Um, obviously everybody is, is coached on, you know, you have to practice social distancing. I think that just goes for everybody. It's a phrase that's being used, you know, a lot in the media now, but you know, really what that means is don't get close to people, avoid unnecessary contact, avoid unnecessary meetings, 
And, you know, the reality is, is the, the, the better off you can get that, um, that spread down, the, the, the better. Um, the, you know, uh, as far as, um, I guess, as far as, you know, uh, in-person meetings are kind of a uh, method of last resort at this point for most businesses. And um, that's just kind of going to be standard. I think the, the kind of clever thing is going into the future. I think people are going to be forced to use some of this technology where, in the past, a lot of people have had access to it or companies have paid for it and everybody just refuses to use it. I think it's going to be interesting because people, a lot of people for the first time will be forced to use it on a consistent basis and it may kind of fundamentally shift the uh, kind of standard playbook for business, which should be cool because, you know, there's a lot of benefits to being able to say that, you know, my kid's sick and I'm just going to work from home today and, you know, all my meetings are remote anyway, so who cares? Um, so for us, obviously leveraging that as much as possible is very important. Um, because you know, the last thing you want to do is be out of the game during a time of crisis. And, um, that's we're, we're leveraging all that stuff as much as possible. Um, and we're stocked up, we're stocked yeah, up and then, disinfectant and food, go through that just a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as, uh, you know, supplies, you know, disinfectants, um, whether you, whatever, whatever product of a choice you use, you know, you, we have all, all of these things stocked up here both, uh, you know, at our homes, but also at our office building and we have food supplies and, um, you know, uh, personal protective equipment, masks, gloves, that sort of thing. If, if, if required, um, we kind of have a standard protocol for disinfecting and cleaning and doing those sorts of things to keep everybody as uh, safe and as healthy for as long as possible. And let's talk about masks. You know, we, we, again, I'm not sounding the BMOC, big man on campus, but we, we made this call real, real early and we already had things uh, because we are not preppers. That's a real important thing. We are not those guys, but we are prepared. And uh, rationally, we, we all carry go bags. You know, if we're out and about and we have uh, to hunker down someplace for three or four days, we do that. Our Vehicles are are structured in the uh, in the uh, trunks that uh, you know we have extra supplies because you just never know if you lived up north if you live in Alaska for example if you live in the upper parts of a Canada and you're driving around you're a, you're a damn fool it's like going to Death Valley and not carrying water you know you occasionally hear people that you know that do that uh, you want to make sure you got gas and water and you got a shade because it's hotter than all Billy Hill out there and just if you're in the cold is it's colder than a witch's you know what so. So you gotta you gotta be prepared, but um, I think uh, I think it's really I think it's I'm really proud of the fact that we have all bases covered on the um, on the air filtration, and and we could hunker down here for a long time. Tell everybody what we've what we've done. So I think it's kind of shows you the type of thinking and preparation we do uh, just to be safe and to be available for our clients. Well, the um, the thing that we figured out a while ago was that this this situation is um, unique in that the masks are going to be an important element of, of personal protection, and the surgical style masks that you see mostly in the media and, and especially in China are only effective on people who are sick. So they are effective in retaining your spit and um, air part, you know, your, your particulate that you might breathe or sneeze out, that type of thing. Um, going for people trying to stay safe, you have to have some type of part, uh, some activated charcoal particulate filtration masks. And, uh, we have disposable types of those in, um, in 95 and 99, uh, basically they're like disposable respirators for all practical purposes. 
And then we also have uh, for long-term use, if you know the situation prolongs and this type of uh, precaution extends way out into the future, if um, we have P100 masks that basically are reusable and you can clean them and disinfect them, so they, um, you know, if if it's necessary to have you know prolonged exposure to potentially dangerous uh, places, that that would be better, but. It just, um, you know, the reality is, is nobody, you, you can never be too prepared at the same time, you know, you know, nobody wants to be the crazy chicken little guy that has too much supplies at the same time when it starts to hit the fan, everybody realizes that in even the most prepared are not prepared enough. So, you know, you kind of have to strike a balance and something I've said a million times to lots and lots of people is, you know, for this event or events in the future, remember to prepare for, you can easily prepare by buying or acquiring extra stuff that you already consume or use, you know, have an extra gallon of bleach, have an extra, you know, a couple of whatever, whatever your preferred, you know, long-term food supplies are. You don't have to buy a lot. You don't have to buy, and you don't have to have mountains of it, but, you know, having an extra two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 weeks of supplies you know, can benefit everybody, even if it's just, you know, I got really sick from the flu and I couldn't get to the grocery store and I'm glad I had some extra supplies. Um, you know, worst case scenario is the quarantine type situation where you can't leave your house for a month. And, you know, very few people are prepared for that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, in the United States, a hundred years ago, everybody had that type of supply because a lot of most people, especially if you lived rural, you know, you grew a lot of your own food, you hunted a lot of your own meat, you raised a lot of your own meat, you know, you, you did a lot of that stuff. And, um, you know, kind of shows you how, how much uh, people rely on centralized systems and everybody needs to be prepared for that inevitable kind of shock to the system that you may not be able to get, you know, your your supplies or your favorite meal of the day. So it's like that movie uh, Twister, where uh, in the very beginning the storms are coming, and mom and dad and and uh, the kid are down in the uh, storm cellar. And everybody, I think, and would assume that's what that was, right? They went down, they covered the door. Dad hung on the door, and he flew away and was killed. But storm cellars were actually uh, food and uh, vegetable and fruit cellars. I mean, everybody had them up north, yeah, and that's purpose. where you stored your food. Um, before the days of refrigeration, what'd you do with your food, son? Put it underground. Natural refrigeration. It's cold underground. So, you know, there's some things that are just old school that need to be done. And with that, I think it's time for uh, us to dance out of here and get back to work. Uh, that's old school that uh, even on a uh, Sunday, uh, this is a busy day. You get prepped up for the week. So that's a little bit of what happened in the past, a little bit of what's going on in the future. Next week on the weekend, we'll do another Connecting Dots where we connect the dots from what happened last week. We're going to try to connect more dots we think are going to happen the week ahead with that. We're out of there.